If you're looking for success, it's in the details. Small hinges move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen. Hey friends, welcome back to In The Details. I'm your host, Karen Allen, and I hope your new year has been off to a really, really good start. I know mine has, especially because we've had some incredible beautiful humans on the show so far in 2023, and today will be no different. My guest, Laura Petrullo, is such a multi-passionate person with an incredible story that will surely, and I do mean surely, inspire you in more ways than I can imagine. Lauren is a marketing guru. I was about to say Morin is a marketing guru, but <laughs> Lauren is a marketing guru. We could change that. Just for this episode, that's my new name. (laughs) She's also the CEO and founder of Mongoose Media, a digital marketing agency. And she and her team actually work with businesses to help them scale and grow and, and become the seven or eight figure brand that they have set out to accomplish. So we'll talk about all of the wonderful work that she's doing today, but you know, we have to start with the story behind her success. So let's get in the details. Lauren, welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Lauren, formerly known as Morin. Yes, you want more Lauren, you can connect with me later, but hi. We'll make sure to change that on all the tags, right? (laughs) We started chatting right before we hit record and uh, we were just getting so deep. I'm like, wait, 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 we need to capture this because this is my favorite kind of conversation where we just start rapping. We're going into our journey. We're sharing these gems and then we have, you know, thousands of people listening. So this is, this is going to be fun. I can already tell. (laughs) Well, I'll be honest. When I read your story, I immediately wanted to sit down and have this conversation with you. You know, your work is certainly impressive. I mean, what you have done so far, you know, four-time founder, you've just accomplished so much, worked with major brands and what you had to overcome though, to where you are today really, really captured my heart. So I see a lot of the success that you are, are currently living in and basking in, but who was Lauren in her teenage years? I I know there's, I, I, well, I'll put it to you this way. Right before we started hitting record, I was like, Lauren, you were a boss as a kid. Like you already, like somehow, some way you knew inside that you were going to be a boss. But is that true? Am I reading into this a little too much? What what was life growing up, Lauren? Uh, Well, life growing up, I was, I have five brothers and being the only girl, I was the princess. And (laughs) I learned really quickly how I could win favor uh, in the household. So I I think the boss mentality, like I never was told I'm bossy and took it as an insult, but as like a thank you, like absolutely, because I'm going to get whatever I want. (laughs) And uh, I grew up in a household where like limiting beliefs like really weren't a thing. Like my dad was handicapped. He had one leg. My mother was the breadwinner. We had every shade of Crayola color body shape, background, you can imagine that would show up to our house. That was like who our family was like blood didn't matter who family was. And so uh, it was as long as you wanted and you were willing to do the work to get it, you could. So to me, I was like, yeah, that's boss. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, I'd be playing Destiny's Child. I'm like, this is this is my anthem. Like, I got this. I know what I want. And yeah, like as a teenager, I mean, my friends would say I was bossy, but in a good way, because like we got things done and we did a lot more than most could. Uh, because we were willing to do what most wouldn't. But in the same thread, uh, 
I didn't necessarily know that I would achieve all that I have been able to achieve, which I'm like beyond grateful for, but also thinking like, I'm just getting started. Yeah. <laughs> but my friends, like they would tell me like whenever they'd see this, like, when I had first gotten this like major role at the Walt Disney Company, I was inundated with people saying, of course you got this. We always knew you were destined to this, which like if you looked at the roster, I was technically three promotions away from CEO of Disney. I mean, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. But on roster, which is like the internal document, it I was three promotions away from CEO. Mm. But yeah, no, like uh, a lot of my friends would say that that was obvious. Um, Cause I think they grew up in different environments, but for me, what was obvious was ordinary, I guess. So it didn't seem extraordinary. Mm. And it sounds like we were chatting a little bit. We had the Eanes brothers on uh, Aaron and Andre shout out to them. And, and Lauren and I connect to a couple of things. One, uh, the background in uh, sports, Lauren was yeah. an athlete, which is amazing. Played soccer and now into dragon boating. Look it yeah. up. Look it it's up. It's a thing. It's, it's so a, good. It's a real thing. <laughs> it's a real thing. Um, but also when the brothers were talking about their upbringing and some of those lessons that their parents were instilling in them at a young age contribute to their success today, the way they do business today, the way that they're mm-hmm. building their team and, and the way that they face adversity. What kind of lessons did your parents instill in you at a young age? And just so you know, I'm sure you do. We love stories here. We love stories. <laughs> Oh, oh, I, I've got stories for days. Like uh, you, you liked communications. I like the sound of my own voice, obviously. <laughs> um, I grew up. So uh, my father, he was a, you know, military veteran. He had gone to school. He helped a lot with like disabled vets. And even though he was like very immobile and wheelchair bound. And when you're like six foot eight and technology hadn't been available for a lot of, you know, amputees, he was really immobile because there just wasn't stuff available for him. But I grew up in this home where you can have whatever you want as long as you're willing to do whatever you need to do to get it. I mean, within legal reasons, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, we would have like these moments that I was sharing a little bit earlier. Uh, I would tell my parents what I wanted. Like, oh, I want this toy. And it was never, no, you can't have it. It was more of like, okay, great. How are you going to get it? Because asking me is not your correct course of action, but I can help you figure what that is. Like, good on you. You ask. My answer is no. Now you need to like, you know, pivot, be resourceful, find another means for you to get the outcome you desire. So I was like five or six. And my dad was saying like, okay, well, how can you get it? How can you make money? I said, I'm, I'm six. Like, I think there are child labor laws that prevent me from doing this, daddy. <laughs> exactly. And he's like, no, no, like we can figure this out. Like you can do a lemonade stand. And like, we were brainstorming all these different things. We had put a list and I remember saying like, I can call radio shows and ask if they would like give this away to me. Cause I heard they would give out tickets all the time. So like, you know, we were brainstorming and then he then pivoted and said, what do you like to do? Like, what is something you would like to do that takes time that you would get paid for, which was like, oh, future service provider Mm. goes back to that conversation. But I was like, yeah, I like to draw. I'm not a very good drawer. Like it stopped after this conversation. I left on a win, but I was like, okay. So he, he had crayons, we had paper and he said, this, you can have, if you need to buy more, well, I'll invest in you and you'll repay me back with interest, of course. But he said, okay, like draw this. I called my friend Lizzie over. We made a bunch of these drawings, priced them at five cents to 25 cents a piece. They're like two 25 centers. So those took time. Those are real artwork yeah. pieces. They were okay? real. They're, yeah. <laughs> and so then my dad told me to go out 
on my neighborhood and go door to door and ask, hey, are you interested in buying some drawings? Like I was like death of a saleswoman at age five. But I like showed up with my backpack. I'd show them one and be like, would you like to see other ones? And by the time I had gotten to the fourth building, it was an apartment complex. I'd gotten to the back. My neighbor said, here's $20. I'll buy everything. And I felt like I had made it. I was like, I ran home. And uh, That's that was the beginning of my entrepreneurial career. Oh my God. I, I said, wow, in the midst of that, because he gave you language very early on that even if you didn't fully understand what he meant about, I will invest, I'll give you supplies or, you know, what have you, it was still planting the seeds of what it takes to really get what you want, because it's not always going to be given to you, which I think is fascinating. I mean, kudos, kudos to daddy. Kudos yeah, to dad. Daddy. That he is- was a serial entrepreneur. Like he opened up a restaurant. He had done an antique shop. Uh, when he, so he played basketball overseas and then was in the military. And, uh, when he lost his leg in Vietnam, he came back with like no options and that to him wasn't an option. So he's like, okay, what can I do? Mm-hmm. So and I had where it started with you. Yeah. I was like, I had full mobility. I could go door to door. Yep. 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 It's interesting. My, my dad is also, uh, disabled through a neurological condition. And I started to see his health deteriorate when I was in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it didn't hit me then. And maybe because uh, you were younger. And so your dad's disability was very much just a, a part of your upbringing where like, I kind of felt like mine came in halfway through those early formative years. And it wasn't until, and because I was dealing with my own stuff in middle school and then in high school. And also because my dad never carried a chip on his shoulder. And my mom, who certainly became the hundred percent caregiver as his health continued to deteriorate, you know, she never, from what I saw, carried a chip on their shoulder. So it just, it was almost like the disability was normal and it didn't, you know, hinder us at all. It didn't hinder our mindset. It didn't seem to hinder theirs. Do you feel like there were any advantages? And I don't mean that in a way to downplay, obviously our parents' disability or what they've gone through, but what do you feel like you were able to glean from that experience of having a parent who, who was disabled? I will say you brought up something that was really interesting. I didn't know my dad was disabled till second grade and Timmy Wicks told me so. Oh, I I had no idea that was his normal. And uh, so it had to be pointed out to me that someone considered him as less than Mm. because I never did. Mm -hmm. And so in those conversations, when I brought that back to the house, we all sat together like on our living room couches and like discuss what does this mean to everybody? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I have a younger brother. And so it's like, hey, well, you know, if this comes up again what does that type of item look like? But I would say like, it, I'm, I'm so grateful for the chance that we had to understand empathy in a way. Like I didn't yeah. know I was learning empathy because it wasn't empathy for other individuals that were disabled in any capacity. It was empathy for people that didn't understand or that mm. were ignorant around it. Mm. And so it was like, we were able to have these conversations and like, my dad and mom could share their respective perspectives. Mm -hmm. And then we could say, okay, well, this is what is real for us. And this is what's interpreted from them. So how Mm. can we be an advocate to share uh, language? And so those were, again, like, like social skills that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to go through. Right. Right. Like, again, it's like, I'm not saying like downplaying anything, but I, I wouldn't change a thing. Also, my dad had an electric wheelchair 
20 years ago before everyone had them in Florida. Mm-hmm. And like, I'd be racing on that thing. And yep. I felt <laughs> I'd boss the streets going back oh, all day. I'd be beeping this little people. like, get out of my way. Paul Blonde privilege from an early age. Like I go first. I don't wait. <laughs> my dad has an electric uh, wheelchair as well. And the grandkids are all over it. They're like, I'm taking pop-up's chair. I, I, and when they were younger, I'm sitting up, I'm catching a ride down to the pool. <laughs> exactly. Oh, well, I think that again, when we, anyone, as you look at your life, you may see different elements or, or different moments, even where there was a disadvantage that seemed at play, but it's really what I'm hearing from you. And this is how I felt. It's never a disadvantage when your perspective doesn't see it that way, because there's always something that will help you to grow, help you to become better, Mm -hmm. will lift Mm -hmm. you up or lift others up. Right. Yeah. And with that, with that, it it actually takes away that power, if you will, of it being a disability or a disadvantage or a setback even. Yeah, yeah. we may go through hard stuff, but are we staying there or are we using mm-hmm. that to fuel our wisdom and then propel us into the future that we're looking to create. So beyond those early years, those early formative years, and you move into high school. And so again, boss mentality, crown fully on secured, got it, (laughs) got it, got it. But I read in your story that at some point as a teenager, you became homeless and, and that was right before, or that was at the end of high school, correct? Yeah. Mid-year of senior year. So three days after I had turned 18, my birthday is New Year's Eve. So January 3rd, and I was like, okay, I have a whole half a year of school left and the rest of my life to figure out. Yeah. So I lost my dad when he was, when I was 12. I'm sorry. Ah, uh, thank you. I mean, I have this whole story where I assume he's like, like God came down. It's like, you have a mission. And he's like, okay, but then you have to make sure my kids get perfect life partners. Mm. And like, I do. I love my husband beyond any reason. Like it's, I don't know how I got so lucky. So that's why I like this story in my head. But, um, so he passed in, uh, when I was 12 and I wasn't until probably like five, six years ago, even did I realize that what the relationship my mom and I had was a result of me not understanding that she was also grieving for me. I was like, Oh, I don't have a dad anymore. And my mom had taken a step back from her parent relationship. Cause she was grieving. And the two brothers I grew up with both had their dads. So I was like, wait, Bueller, Bueller? hold on. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I was more of a brat than a boss, I think in the household. I mean, there's no, I think I was very much a brat mm-hmm. and, uh, it led to like increased strength, strenuous relationships with my mom, myself, mm-hmm. and then the partner she had brought into our home, which I believed was too soon after, regardless, she was happy. I was a brat and like what happened to me being the boss of this house there's this new man who's entered the complex there's a very different cultural background where you know what are these restrictions and limitations like I had I had been like collapsed like a balloon and so because of that it led to uh to living in my house and so then I was like oh okay I'll figure this out real quick and I did I was really lucky like I had some friends that I could like live in their basement for, for a little while. And then I would go to someone else's guest room and I would like hop around. And like, I still had a car because my dad had given me the car. Thank goodness. My brother got in some trouble. So I got his car. So I like, wasn't like without a place to sleep every single night if need be. And, uh, I was able to like grab a suitcase of stuff and yeah, that was a fun, 
fun senior year, but I, I went to a really great school in the city of Chicago. It was public school. Like my principal helped me get onto a food program so that I could still get lunch. And uh, she actually had a friend who gave me a prom dress. So I was like, I don't want to not experience normal teenager stuff just because of what has become my new normal. And it let me become really good friends with my principal's friends where I was like, okay, cool. Age is not a restriction for friendship. Got it. Mm -hmm. And I looked amazing. So no complaints there. (laughs) I can't imagine having to go through so much during those years where we already feel like we're trying to find our way that we, you know, are are dealing with a lot in friendships, in internal growth, in external circumstances. Mm -hmm. And as a teenager, I mean, it sounds like the earlier years gave you a solid foundation of resilience. I'm going to figure this out. I I trust myself and my capabilities. Even if I can't trust the foundation that was once firm around me, I I can trust myself. Were there any big lessons that came out during that time period where you really were relying on on yourself and your, your resources and your ability to get through the next day or get to prom or, you know, just get what you need to survive, not just survive, but as you mentioned, to have a normal rest of your teenage experience or rest of your high school experience, I'd say. I think, yeah. I mean, the biggest lesson was, uh, dependability and reliability. I mean, like literally the house that I would seek shelter from, cause it was winter was someone else's and they had their parents and they had their rules and overstaying time and like, Hey, I just need this temporary place to stay in. And those type of things, like the biggest lesson was like, don't overstay your welcome and like mm-hmm. show gratitude always. And also like, I got to see how other families were raised, which was almost like a, a spotlight to like the great things that I had experienced. Mm-hmm. Another lesson was that if I don't define my narrative, someone else will define it for me. And I experienced that a few times when people did find that I was like moving from place to place or had been shared that like this had come up and it was like, Oh, did you hear about Lauren? And so then when I was able to like, yeah, but now I'm working three jobs and I'm in high school. I'm also on the soccer team. I'm doing these different components. And when people were saying like, well, wait, she's still going to like parties on weekend. And she's still like, getting published in the newspaper for her soccer skills and all these other kind of components. I, the biggest one is like, if I don't take control of the narrative or tell people what is true for me, someone else will make it up or mm. make it worse. Mm, that is so true. I mean, yeah, I'm living out of my car, but I'm still a badass. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I have soccer practice at six in the morning. There's a shower. Like I was mm. good. Cause I wasn't going to smell for mm-hmm. school. Like that was just, it, it was just a, yeah. So what? Moving on. Mm. Did you do your, did you do your chem paper? No. Okay. Let's go to library. We'll do it now. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Man, the things that come to break us actually make us stronger, don't they? Oh, for sure. And like I was for the times when people had shared and they were unintentionally mean about it. uh, There were other people who were going through not similar, but they were going through their own adversity because everyone has their own. There's, there's no like pity Olympics everyone has something that they're going on for sure. Mm -hmm. And there would be individuals I hadn't really been friends with or interacted with much who would reach out and say, Hey, you can crash at my place or, Hey, you know, like I'm living in this kind of situation. And like, it kind of helps me seeing you show up every day. Cause I heard your story and I was like, Oh Mm -hmm. yeah, no problem. Do you want to grab lunch? 
Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, there, there's like, I'm not saying it was like a good thing that happened. I would never wish that on anyone because it yeah. did like atomically bomb the relationship I had with uh, my family that I had grown up with. And it really severed a lot of relationships and strains on other pieces. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I like who I am. Yeah. So it worked out to the yeah. best I think it could have. Yeah. 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 Oh. I don't think when we look at our story that any of us would pick those painful parts and be like, yeah, I'll sign up for that. Right. Like we know that there's going to be pain in all of our human stories, but you're never like, I'll, I'll do that. But after you live through it and then you can look back and like you just said, but I like myself today. And if what I went through contributed to who I am today, then I'm not going to take away that part of me. It's just interwoven into my life. Mm -hmm. Mm. Now, at what point though, um, I'm going to guess that you started finding your talents and your gifts uh, in marketing when you were drawing those pictures. Maybe you didn't know it then, friend. <laughs> Maybe you didn't know it then, but no, seriously. Oh, you- <laughs> for sure. I learned bundling before I knew what bundling was. Let's go. Because I was like, this one's 25 cents and this one's five cents and this one's 25 cents, but you could buy these two and I'll give you this one for free. Like I was like, I need to make the sale. My dad told me I need to sell all of the pictures. And then he'd like, we had made a deal that he would help me figure out what the difference was. So we had priced in like how much it would add up. And he's like, you know, you need to get rid of all of these. And my friend was like, you could throw them away. I'm like, nope, (laughs) he's going to ask for receipts. Like (laughs) that's my father. So yeah, no, no. I mean, I was like, okay, how do we, how do we make this a deal? I'm like, the one neighbor was like, Hey, no, we're not really interested. I was like, do you have kids? And yep. I was like running like objection busters. Like, oh, you, you don't have kids. Oh, your refrigerator must be really lonely. I think your magnets need a friend. There you go. Let there me you be go. that picture on your refrigerator. And he laughed. He gave me a dollar for my jokes. See, but I didn't buy anything. <laughs> not good pictures. But early on, these gifts were already in you. And I truly believe that when we look at if you are following your passion and if you're living out what you feel you're called to do, um, what you enjoy, what gives you energy, then if you actually look back to your childhood, you're going to see glimpses of that back mm-hmm. then. So that's why that's why I connect that, because clearly something was inside of you at a very young age. And now it's just coming out in a different way based on the resources you have, based on the team that you have, based on the way that you're serving the world. But but I am interested when you actually connected the dots. So after you graduated from high school, mm-hmm. did you already know that you wanted to go into marketing or was it a, a did you go the business route? How did you find your way into this field? Uh, good question. Cause that's not what I wanted to do. I thought I was going to become a professional soccer player. I was playing soccer at the highest level. That was my plan. I had friends that were playing professional soccer as women. I had other friends in and around the space of professional sports. You know, my dad had played overseas. I was fast and tall. So if you just hit the ball at my face, likely it went in. Cause I was taller than most of the the teammates. I was just like a moving target, but then I did some stuff in college, got in a little bit of trouble learned quickly. Okay. Sports won't work. That's not an end game. And I had, I think I was 21. I had been working, um, in a restaurant and I remember there was an opportunity. I was a hostess where we could, uh, have an additional income. So our, the biggest thing like growing up, it was like, you're limited by your imagination of what is possible. But when I took on these jobs as working in these restaurants, I was limited income wise by what I got paid per hour. 
And then there was an opportunity where I was like, Hey, can we, can we make this a game? Can we, cause I'm obviously very competitive. I said, let's, let's make this a win-win scenario. And so I helped create this like Valentine's day package. And they're like, yeah, like you'll make, you know, $8 per, I made $200 the first day of just selling these Valentine day packages left and right. And there's like, you had a bouquet of flowers and a cake or something. I, I upsold to everybody. And the owner of the restaurant had come up and like, do you have any other ideas? Yeah. Like, what else can we do for like event marketing? And I was like, oh, well, hey, why don't we connect with hotel uh, concierge teams? And like, why don't we give them the same kind of incentive and competitive package? And like, let's structure these type of deals. So it was like relationship building and then removing the obstacle of a an income threshold by providing the opportunity. So I, I believe I was 21 or 20 and was like, oh, no, I'm really good at this. Like, give me, give me an outcome and a goal and oh, I will crush it and I will get creative about it. Mm, that's interesting. And then from there it took off. And yeah. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to do more of these business and marketing classes. Let's, mm. let's go into like, what is creative problem solving? And then I got this job at Walt Disney company where I was doing like uh, business development and then later innovation and marketing. And it was just like, wow, wait, these are career th- opportunities. Like I love doing this going back to like drawing, like I love to draw, what can I get paid and paid well to do? And so I was like, oh, okay. I got into this business management. I was like, oh, I can increase my pay and, and become a grown-up five-year-old. A hundred percent. I'm jumping to the innovation and marketing team. All I have to do is come up with crazy ideas. Great. I'm five years old professionally. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that being an adult is just a mindset. It has nothing to do with your age. It is totally a mindset. <laughs> it's the, my favorite thing about being an adult. True story is the ability to buy whatever I want at the grocery store. Absolutely. Don't Ice tell me what kind of cereal. I can get whatever cereal I want to. Yes. Golden grams. <laughs> yes. I will have six boxes. Yes, I will. A true story. The only time I feel like an adult is when I have to do something for my kid. I'm like, oh, oh I have a little human I have to take care of. Yeah. Oh, I'm the adult in this scenario. <laughs> Wait till when your son starts then doing those adult things for you. Like, yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So as you started to get more into marketing, I'm curious, did you have an ultimate goal that started to form like a picture of what you wanted to work towards a business that you wanted to build? Like how did what you're doing today, where did that seed get planted? So uh, when I took this job at Disney, I wanted to be, my dream was to be the chief imagination officer. Like Mm -hmm. I wanted to just come up with great ideas and help lots of people get jobs. Uh, Then when I ended up saying like, oh, wait, this is a dinosaur. There's a lot of red tape. I can do much more independently and faster with small businesses. Mm -hmm. And so when I had started as almost like this freelancer, I was able to help six of my clients become millionaires within a year of working together and just like, everything I I stepped on, like tripped into success kind of Mm. thing. So like it worked really well for them. And I was like, okay, I want to take this more seriously because I want to create jobs. I want to be able to provide income for other individuals. And then it was just like piecing what the roadmaps are. So for me, like clean water initiatives and then the uh, juvenile, like the incarcerated youth are like two really big components of mine. So it was like, okay, what can I do to help 10,000 people get access to clean water a year. And then what resources are available to those that think their success is defined by their rap sheet versus Mm -hmm. like the resume should be defined by what you've actually created. Like 
my drawings as a five-year-old. I've met a lot of individuals who are like brilliant copywriters, fantastic hook writers, really, really good at sales and marketing, just perhaps had achieved success by illegal means, um, but just like reframing, hey, like there are other opportunities for you to leverage your gifts. And so then it was like putting those pieces into place when I saw that the goal wasn't like an income, like I'm not motivated by money, but the goal was the opportunity that we could provide other people Mm. who weren't maybe as resourceful or given the opportunities to pivot in their situations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. You said that you helped six of your clients early on. I'm curious, were they all in one particular niche? Like, did you find success in one niche first and then you started to build on others? So uh, our first client was in the hospitality space. Like I did a lot of destination sales marketing for mm-hmm. the Walt Disney company. I've worked with most major hotel chains or timeshare brands. So uh, he was in, uh, I call it lead generation. So he was a travel agent. He needed he needed leads that were interested in his travel packages. And then our second client was in uh, food and beverage. So they were an e-commerce store. And so it was two very different verticals, two very different KPIs to be held for, two very like incredulous success stories. Like I remember Jordan uh, called us thinking that she had been reversed robbed. She like, literally like bruised her tailbone. So I was like, yeah, I like, I literally kicked someone's ass or they kicked their own ass because they were like, they thought someone had robbed another bank account and deposited into theirs. Mm. And so she had fallen off. And then uh, with my, who's like, I've, I, I've never sold so many packages. I was like, well, I think I'm really good at this. Yeah. And then it's just been referrals, referrals ever since. Mm-hmm. And so like the bulk of our clients are in hospitality marketing or e-commerce just because mm-hmm. like you take those first two success stories and their friends are mm-hmm. in similar scenarios. So that's, that's how it defined itself. Yeah. Well, I ask because a lot of times in entrepreneurship, especially I, I have found that most entrepreneur and small business owners that I know are multi-passionate. They are like, okay, I am doing this one thing, but I got like eight other irons that are yeah. in the fire. Right. And so, but, but those who have found success early on, they stayed true to one lane because then they were able to go faster because of their focus. Right. So mm-hmm. if they focused all their energy in one space and they could build that up, then they were able to branch out and, and do other things. So that's why yeah. I was interested about the, uh, you know, early on success, if that was something that, that you were able to capitalize on, but now you own four different companies. You are in multiple spaces. You are in beauty and baby and still in this place. So at at what point did you lean into that part of yourself to say, Hey, okay, yes, I'm having success here, but I am multi-passionate and I want to do many things because again, we, we restrict ourselves, right? Anything is possible. You can literally do whatever you want to. So at what point did you decide, okay, I'm not going to stay in one lane. I'm actually going to try things that are radically different than this one thing that's working. So, um, okay. So I have my digital marketing agency, Mongoose Media. We have over 30 pack members that work for our company. And then my three e-commerce brands are in the three spaces that a lot of our clients are in. And so Mm -hmm. I saw them as opportunities to, you know, I have to test and vet my team before I put them on client work. And I have to make sure that they like understand KPIs, that they're like, they have success to carry over and iterate. So I having these three companies, 
like the, I have shade matcha, which is in the food and beverage space. I have bone ball littles, which is in the baby space. It's an eco-conscious swimwear line. And then I have Asian beauty essentials, which is in the beauty space. It's like, uh, like Sephora, but only Asian and having these as like tester spaces became like training grounds almost. So while they are vastly different and I go to trade shows and I like go to coffee shops and negotiate them wholesale buying, like they're very different. They all still feed into the big tree, which is Mongoose Media as we have different levels of our team members. So level one is someone who's training. Level two is someone who's working on internal client projects. And then level three is they're on client work and they're revenue generating pack members mm-hmm. for our company. So yeah, I mean, everything is is totally different. And then of course, like the volunteer worker things that I do have nothing to do with all of this, but it all always comes back to like all roads lead to Lauren, the boss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the boss. <laughs> I make everything work. Like if I'm going to spend time on something, it has to have like, multi-purposes mm-hmm. and it's everything even when we break things like even like you know sleeping in a car for a night like everything is is happened for a reason and even if it wasn't a win it's still a lesson and then mm-hmm. if we have the chance to say is this a lesson we're going to learn from or is this a lesson we're going to ignore and I I don't want to be ignored so we don't ignore the lessons you know I wonder if at all at any point do all athletes who transition to business get to that conclusion, which is when we're growing up or when we're playing sports, it is win or lose. You look at the scoreboard and you see you either win or you lost. That was it. That was it. (laughs) But I certainly in my own journey of healing and growth and, and all that good stuff and being very intentional about wanting to develop a growth mindset, I felt that change inside of me where it's not win or lose, it's win or learn. And even if we don't win per se, based on hitting the goal or the metrics or what have you, when we learn from it, we're still making progress forward. Mm -hmm. Was that a tough adjustment for you or did that come naturally? I think it came naturally just because like, uh, failing was never a a bad thing for me. It's like first attempt at learning. And so like, if you didn't fail, like you didn't try. And so that was like the biggest thing. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. like there were at my height and with the genetics I was provided from my parents and the opportunity to go to practices and stuff, I had an advantage. Mm -hmm. And so there were like, when I had won games, even like if there had been a hat trick and it was like easy and there was really no effort to try to like finesse my game, practice different like ball handling skills. Like that was a bad failure because it was like, you didn't even try. Mm. So yeah, I think it's, it's, it did come easy just because of the environment I grew up around where it's like, you were called out for not trying. And mm-hmm. that was like worse and disrespectful to the other people who had showed up. Mm-hmm. Like how, like, you know, you can embarrass them, but like they were here to play against you and you did not give them your best. Mm-hmm. That was worse, worse than losing. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I think like celebrating the failures is something we do a lot at Mongoose mm-hmm. Media. Like we have fail Friday and like we have that's a part of a KPI. Like everyone on the pack has. What is fail, fail Friday? Don't glaze over that. What is fail Friday? What is, what is this internal process? I am so curious. It's you have to sell like at least one person per team. So we have uh, two services, lead generation e-commerce, but five core competencies. So it's like five mini businesses inside this big 
team. Remember, all roads lead to uh, the top. And so someone from each team has to talk about something they failed. So first attempt in learning. Because if it's just, if we're just like breezing by and we're not trying something, that means we're not going to see an opportunity. So like we've had failures that we've learned so much more from. And then we've had like, so Danny and our team, like this YouTube project we've been doing, like we launched a Spanish YouTube channel because of like all these like hosts of resources where we're like, Hey, there's you know, 56 million Spanish speakers in the United States. That's like the 26th largest country in the world population. And so we started doing all this effort of projects in Spanish to accommodate and be more inclusive to our U.S.-based customers. And we've seen our like average order value increase tenfold. We've seen so many more orders coming because we're catering to a large population that's largely ignored. And so she had failed three weeks in a row. She had this hypothesis, she tested it and she, she attempted one way or another until finally it it worked. And when it worked, it like, it really worked Mm -hmm. when she had said like, Oh, you know, I had posted these thumbnails and like, they, they flopped, they looked terrible. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. You had never posted a thumbnail before. Now let's try again. But if Mm -hmm. she hadn't done it, then she's doing the same thing over and over again. That's not success. And like at our 2023 kickoff, we met with the whole team and I told everyone, if in one year from now, you're still doing the exact same thing that you're doing today, we failed, like not in a good way mm-hmm. because everyone should grow and everyone should have a mess up where it's your mm-hmm. first attempt in learning. That's where fail comes in. Mm, yes. Oh man. The way that you are pouring into your people is just... It makes my heart pitter patter, Lauren. It does oh. because I, I just... I, I, my background is in HR. And when I see human centric workplaces forming, you're not just helping them grow in their position. You're helping them grow as people. And I, the way that your dad poured into you and helped you grow, I know that he would be so proud that he is so proud seeing how you are pouring into others in in almost the same way, the same way that he poured into you. That's amazing. Is, Is there anyone in your life who inspires you? Is there someone who just like, you're like, that right there. That's the person who obviously your father is a source of inspiration, but is there anyone who you look to and that's who helps to fuel all of these dreams that you're building and this business that you're building that is, that is very intentional and caring of others. Oh, I mean, you say one, I'm going to steal and say two, uh, one, like growing up is it's my brother, Brendan. He like, he failed a lot, not always in the first attempt, but like in the hundredth attempt. And learning how to overcome a lot of adversity. Like we grew up around addiction. We grew up in a lot of uh, like NA meetings. That was a big part of my life growing up. And uh, what my brother went through uh, was something I saw, like he took the worst of any situation I would ever want to be in and showed me that he was able to overcome it. I mean, he's like 10 years sober. He's um, an amazing father. Like he's constantly reinventing himself every day. So I know like holy smokes, if, if everything that he's been through, like there's, there's no excuse. So having that constant reminder of, uh, a battle tested human who has always expected so much from me. And like, he overcame a lot to make sure that my pathway was set up in the sense of like, Hey, I did it for you. So you know what not to do. I like, I'll always feel this gratitude and debt to him because like, I, I easily could have let my situation go on a very different path because the path that he chose was easier for sure. At least the, what was presented as an opportunity to me. But the second thing I would say is like my husband, like he's, he's taken 
shotgun to every opportunity. Well, my dog is saying he wants to be counted in this. If you can hear him, he's like, me too, me too. (laughs) (laughs) But my, no, my husband, like when um, I got the opportunity with Disney, he said, great, I've got shotgun. He has been like you for your son in the cheerleading stands has been my husband times 10, if that's possible. Like anytime I've ever doubted myself, he'll be like, what are you doing? And like recenter my focus. And I I don't think I could have achieved half of what I've done without the support of a good man. Like they say like, oh, behind every president is a strong supportive woman. I'm like, well, behind this president of her company is a strong supportive man. That's right. That's right. The power couple, the power couple. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I absolutely love that. Lauren, listen, your, mm, your story just deeply embodies hope and grit and the infinite capabilities that we have within us as humans. And I am so grateful that you have shared this with our our audience today. I love what you are doing. And I, any way that we can support that, we are happy to. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing so many insights. If anybody wants to connect with you, wants to learn more about what you're doing in this space, how can they find you? Uh, You can find me at mongoosemedia.us. That's uh, all roads lead to Mongoose Media. Um, Or you can find me on all socials, Lauren E. Petrullo. That's E for Elizabeth. There's a monkey doctor in Colorado. She beat me to all the social handles. Uh, (laughs) But maybe I'll like rename myself to Lauren. We want more of Lauren. Follow Lauren. Follow Um, Lauren. (laughs) Thank you so much, friend. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It's, It's, you're awesome. And Thank you so much for letting me share. Not always the easiest of stories, but one I'm grateful for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's one that's going to inspire many. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) This has been In the Details. If you like the show, tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcasts.